What's well, a privilege to get to share with you? It's been a little while outside of Christmas, uh, the, our Christmas outreach. We've been able to share, and I tell you, man, it's been an amazing year, has it not? And it's been a year of transition for us and, and doing some things mission-wise and things for our organization. And first of all, I just want to thank you uh, for prayer and support in those things. It, it's been a, a fruitful year, and it's hard to explain uh, when I'm outside of this place, the different things that God's done and is doing. But I, I just thank you for, again, prayer and support and your love for us. And it's great to be here this morning. Amen? Could I have that first slide? This is, uh, in two months on Herbalife, Juan has lost $200. And this is the before and after picture. If you look closely... Doesn't look like much has changed, amen? And so we're coming up to a new year, and some of us make these great, like, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to change this, I'm going to start new here, and I appreciate those efforts. I've been there myself. There's things in my own life, my own uh, personal disciplines that I like to shift and change, but sometimes just us making that pledge, and this is the magic potion, this is the magic pill, this is going to change everything. How many have figured out it doesn't always work that way? Often the change needs to come on from the inside, right? And so we've been in the book of Ephesians for the last uh, few weeks, and uh, this is, will be part four, and we've, we've looked at different aspects of uh, what Paul intended for the church at Ephesus, and we're going to go a little farther in that this morning and actually end this four-part series talking in Ephesians 6 about standing in victory. So the last few weeks, if you've been with us, just a quick update. Paul, in chapter 1, he, he talks about, he lays a foundation for our faith. He tells us what's happened at the cross in Christ. He tells us that you, you and me have been chosen and adopted and accepted by the Lord. He makes it just it clear that we're redeemed now from past lives and past things, that God wants to do a new thing. He's going to take old life, broken things, uh, some stuff he removes, sometimes he refines things, but now we've been redeemed for a new life. Amen? And then he tells us that you're sealed by God, and that the Holy Spirit's been given as a guarantee of that inheritance. He goes on to talk about this new person, that we might know the hope of his calling and the riches of his inheritance and the greatness of his power. He talks about this new position that we're in Christ, that we've been seated with him now, that we've been made alive, you who were dead. He raised us up, seated with him in heavenly places. In chapter 2, he, he reaffirms this salvation comes by grace through faith. It's nothing that we earn, right? It's nothing because of our own merit. It's because of his great love towards us that we've been changed. It's his love directed at us. And then he tells us in chapter 2 that we're his workmanship, that we've been created in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, he continues. He talks about it's a mystery how this thing worked. This mystery in Christ, this mystery that's been unfolding. And Pastor Jeff did a great job unpacking that idea of mystery. Chapter 4, he tells us how to walk in new life. We walk in unity with one another, discerning spiritual gifts. We walk in our callings. We walk as new people, putting off the old man and on the new man. We walk as pleasing the Spirit and not grieving Him. So he lays this foundation, who we are now and what we're supposed to do now. And now this is, he's talking about how we walk it out. Chapter 5, he, he talks about just the, that we're walking in love. And that we walk in light and we walk in wisdom. 
It's just not about hearing. It's just not a theology. He says, this is how you practically walk it out. And I love the book of Ephesians because it takes us from this place of position and a theology, a deep theology of what, what Christ did at the cross. And now he begins to talk about the other side of the cross. We, we've been redeemed at the cross, forgiven at the cross, victorious in Christ at the cross, received new righteousness at the cross, but now walking it out, you and me got to exercise these things. Amen? And so we get to chapter 5, and at the end, it talks about walking it out at home, relationships, and how to love your wife, and how to love your kids, and how to get along with people that serve you in business relationships. We get insight there. So we get to this place of instruction, equipping, and now we come to chapter 6, and it's about standing. Chapter 6, sometime, some of us just turn there right away because it's spiritual warfare, teach us how to fight, but really, we're not fighting there from a place of scratching to, to, to get somewhere, to achieve something. When we get to Ephesians 6, he said, this is your position. This is who you are. Now, this is how you stand in it. This is how you enforce it. This is how you walk in it. This is how it becomes a reality to you. It's not a Sunday morning thing and a Bible study thing. But it's a reality, and Paul begins to tell us this is how we contend to make these things a reality in our life, that we might walk in victory. I love the word victory. Do you? I, I don't like the word trials. I don't like the word temptation. I really don't like the word struggle. It's a part of life. It's a reality. You can grow through them. But I like victory. I watched Clemson win yesterday. It was victory. If you watch college football, it was amazing. The, the culture at Clemson, strong Christian coach, strong Christian culture he's built in that school, and it carries through in their teamwork. And the quarterback even had Ephesians 3.20 put on somewhere on his body. Go Lawrence. Amen. Anyway, th th this idea of victory, God wants us to walk in victory. Could you tell your neighbor that? He wants you and me to be victorious. And... and you know, victory looks different to different people in this room depending where you are. Just having victory over old habits, not letting them control you, not letting them run your life, that's victory. For some of us, reconciling with family, and, and now we're able to talk and communicate and get along and we're building together instead of always fighting, that's victory. In your careers and jobs, being able to faithfully move forward and, and keep your responsibilities and, and be able to grow and see yourself flourish and save, that's victory. How many believe God wants that for you and me? See, throughout the years, I, I've seen people, and even in our church this morning, there's people that have come from other countries. There's people that have come here, with, and everybody's got stories of how they got here and why they got here, and, and the things that were challenges. Some have left other countries because of oppression. Some have left other countries. William Juarez, our connection El Salvador, he's working with the gangs. I mean, part of his... His heart was to come here for a while and work with refugees in America, but God's called him back there for a season. And they, and they got stories of why they've come to America. And then when they came, they had to go through the process. There's the paperwork process, but there's also learning the culture. For some, it's learning the language and how to communicate. For others, it's just, it's just lurking, how do I fit in? How do, how do I relate? They've gone through adjustments to be here in this culture, and that's what I see in the book of Ephesians. Paul tells us how to operate in this culture of heaven, how to, how to prosper, how to be influential. My son Jeff, he, he does stuff on Ancestry.com. He's been mapping out our family tree, and you sent me not too long ago 
uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, no, it was on my dad's side, it was uh, Thomas Henry Sparrow, uh, sent his, his, I guess it was his obituary that tells his story. In the late 1800s, he, he immigrated from Canada into Minnesota and uh, became a citizen, and I don't know how long that took or the whole story behind that, but uh, he ended up in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota, and he be- developed a business. He became a butcher, but with that on the, on the obituary, it says he became an elder in the congregational church, and then he got involved in some kind of council in the city, in the township, and I look at it just seeing the lines, and I said, hey, this, this guy came from another country, also served in World War I, fought for the U.S. in World War I comes from another country and, and gets acclimated, fights for this country, becomes a businessman in this country, becomes an elder in a church in the community, becomes in leadership in, in, a, a, in a community or a city. He came from another place and he set down roots and became influential. Tell your neighbor that's God's plan for you, that wherever you've come from, now you're in Christ. Now you belong to him. Now you have an identity in him. Now you're equipped. Now you're growing. You're coming from a place of strength. That's why Jesus came to set you free from old stuff that you and me might walk in newness of life and learn how to operate in this fallen planet to bring kingdom life to people that need it. Amen? That's our calling. That's our destiny. That's what Paul maps out in Ephesians. And now we come to chapter 6, and he gives us some instruction on how to do that, how to make it real and alive and living. Amen? See, somewhere in here I, I got this amoxicillin. And uh, let, let me tell you a little about amoxicillin. It, it's an antibiotic used to treat a number of bacterial infections like middle ear and sinus and strep and throat and skin infections. It was discovered in, in 1858 and came into medical use in 1972. And it's in the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines and it's most effective for certain childhood diseases. Uh, it's available in a generic form. You want me to read you more about it? And uh, look at at wholesale, you know, uh, one pill is two cents, and, and the other maybe two to five cents. And in the United States, 10 days of treatment costs about uh, 16 bucks. And it was the 28th most prescribed medication in 2016. You want, want me to give you more details? You know why? I got it at an infection in my tooth. And I, I needed a root canal. And so that's the dentist gave me this. There's a couple left that I didn't take them all the way to the end. I know you're supposed to. But, but, but look, I can tell you all about this. But if you have an infection, it profits you nothing unless you take this. And we can talk about the history of the church at Ephesus the, the temple to the goddess Tiana that was one of the seven wonders of the world. We can toss, talk about the false worship and the trade routes and the mixture of cultures and everything that made the church of Ephesus like it is. And then how Paul gives us instruction about these heavenly places and who we are now in Christ. And, and we can hear all that, but it really doesn't do anything unless we start walking in it. This amoxicillin, I can tell you the history, but... Unless I'm taking it for the situation, it's, it's not going to change things. Ephesians 6 is about changing things. Ephesians 6 is about the weapons of our warfare. Ephesians 6 is about the tools that God's given you and me to uh, affect, to, to move the theology behind everything we looked at the last few weeks, to move it forward into a reality, to stand into what God has called us to do and what he's called us to be. Anybody with me this morning? That can stay there. This is, this is why sometimes we get stuck. Read this with me if you could. 
For indeed, the gospels preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith in those who heard it. In other words, they, they heard about it, they, they heard the promises, but they never really mixed it with faith and started applying it and say, that, that's good history, that's good theology, that's good understanding. But they never took it to the next place and said, this is me he's talking about. This new person in Christ, this is me. That I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, he's talking about me. I'm not fighting from a place and trying to achieve from a place beaten down. No, I've been raised with Christ and now I fight from this place and not from that place. Now I stand. I don't have to fight. Christ has accomplished it. Now I have to stand in what he's done. Amen? And so from that position, it's a, it's a brand new way of thinking for many of us, a brand new way of looking at the gospel. See, now when we get to Ephesians 6, Paul goes on to say this, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're against principalities, against powers, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Read the last with me. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so we've talked a few weeks ago that word withstand is the same word, histomai, where we get antihistamine from. When things come against us, when our identity gets challenged, when, when things are starting to rock us, get us in fear, no, we know how to stand now. We're standing from that position of faith, that position of what Christ has accomplished. We're standing in that victory. Amen? Well, let's look at it a little bit more. Just, I'm not going to spend much time going through the, the different weapons of armor, and many of you have been through that over and over again. I just want to camp on one this morning. And Ephesians 6.13, if you have it, you can follow there with me. It says, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. So that's the belt. Everything hangs off of truth. Everything used to hang off the belt of the warrior. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate's his righteousness now. We put that on. Mike doesn't stand here this morning in Mike's righteousness. I can't stand as a friend in, in the presence of God in, in my own good, in my own deeds. No, I stand because of the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? Then you have your, shot, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is about walking it out. This is about this gospel of peace he's given us, taking it to other places. And then it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, which, which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in I may speak boldly as he ought to speak. And so he says, above all, you, you take this shield of faith, to be able to quench the fiery darts. But the thing I want to concentrate on this morning is, is the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In my case, I, I can't remember who gave it to me now. It's been years ago, but I have a long sword. It's about almost four feet long. It hangs on the wall. It's nice and shi shiny and bright, and it's got these corrugated edges. It looks really nasty. If you were to be run through, it would tear things up. But it's so heavy, you can hardly use it. I mean, I could never, if somebody came into my office, I'm, no, it would be more like, 
it, it wouldn't work. See, this little sword, this thrusting sword, this two-edged sword is more like what they used in battle. And it, it's handy. It's quick. It could be worn on your belt. My sword, if I put it on my belt, you'd be dragging it behind you. This, this is more like the weapon that they carried. And Hebrews 4 says this, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner in the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Th th this sword is unique. Scripture says it's two-edged. It's a two-edged sword. And some of you have known the history about it, but Rick, Rick Renner, he's a Greek scholar, and he is a, was a member of our association, even visited our church years ago. Now he's got uh, just a dynamic, great ministry in Russia and changing that nation. He writes a lot about Greek words and Greek meaning. And the word, when we say the sword of the spirits, the word of God, that word can be, the word word, can be defined in different ways. There's the word graphe, which means for the word graphe is written down words. When it says it is written, it comes from the Greek word graphe. It's the black and white. It's the written record. And then there's the logos. When we say the word of God, sometimes that, the word for word is logos, and it's the message in the words. The meanings behind the message. What Jesus speaks, logos is the living word. Jesus is called the, the logos of God, the living word of God. But the last word for word is rhema, and it means to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, that's the spoken word. When rhema is used as the word of God, that's the word that's declared. It's the word that's spoken out. It's the word that changes atmospheres. It's the word, you know, I can't fight thoughts with thoughts. I have to fight thoughts with words. I have to correct my thinking, put the helmet of salvation on when I'm in the middle of warfare and, and begin to declare this is what God has said. I have to speak the word of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? See, some of us were raised with that. We, when we'd come against situations, when we'd come against you know, attacks, we would get an agreement. We began to speak the promises of God because that's the rhema word of God. The spoken word of God is what changes things. I don't know about you, but there's times like I turn inwardly and the inward meditations in my heart, I work through things and I you know, reason with things and sort things out and sometimes journal things. And that, that is so helpful inwardly. I'm telling you, when there's atmospheres that need to be changed in my home or in a church, in a community, when we get together and begin to declare God's word, things begin to happen. Do you believe that? It's the spoken word of God that's got power. It's got, you know, life in itself. It says here, it's living and powerful. It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit. It separates the thoughts and emotions from what's really true. I'm glad for emotions, but they're indicators. They're never made to be, you know, dictators. And so our emotions that try and control us and our feelings that carry us this way and that way, it's the Word of God that can separate that out, the soul from what's true. And I want to live and abide in what's true. How about you? Amen. This is what Rick Renner goes on to say. He said, the Greek word rhema, which describes something that is spoken clearly, vividly, in unmistakable terms and undeniable language. In the New Testament, the word rhema carries the idea of the quickened word. 
And here's an example of a rhema or a quickened word. You're praying about a situation and suddenly a Bible verse rises up from inside your heart. At that moment, you're consciously aware that God has given you a verse to stand on to claim or to calm your situation. You received that word and it came right out of the mouth of God and dropped into your spirit. That word from God was so sharp that it cut right through your questions, your intellect, your natural logic, and it lodged deep within your heart. And after you meditated on that rhema or that quickened word from God, it suddenly began to release its power inside of you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Soon you couldn't contain it any longer. Everything within you wanted to declare what God had said to you. He wanted you to say it. You want to release it out of your mouth. And when you did, those powerful words were like, uh, sent forth like a mighty blade to drive back the forces of hell that had been marshaled against you, your family, your business, your ministry, your finances, your relationships, and your body. First, the word came out of the mouth of God, and next, it came out of your mouth. Well, when we talk about confess, that word confess is homo logeo, which basically means homo means like, and logeo means word. It means to speak like God. Homo legeo, when we confess, it's coming in, coming into agreement with God. We're saying what God has said about a situation. And that word, we doesn't return void. Do you believe that? That word accomplishes what it's supposed to. The phrase describing the word of God as a two-edged sword is taken from the Greek word diastomos and is unquestionably one of the oddest words in the entire New Testament. Di means two, and stamos, which is the Greek word for one's mouth. Thus, when these two words are compounded into diastomos, they describe something that is two-mouthed. So that's why the Bible refers to the word of God as a two-edged sword. God says it first, and then we say it. And then it becomes active and powerful and changes things. God's spoken it. We receive it. Say, God, I believe that's true. And, and I, I believe your Holy Spirit's applying that to my situation. So I'm going to speak that word, God. I'm going to agree with you over what you have said and what your intentions are and what you have for me and my family. I'm going to agree with that word, and heaven goes to work to make it happen. That's how we take the reality of Ephesians 1 through 5 and we begin to walk in it because we agree with what he said and we begin to declare it and speak it. Now, this is, this is where I believe that the, the church has gotten to problems lately and over the last few years because the culture is so negative and everything is critical and criticism and, and judging. And I don't know about you, I get caught up in it. I watch the news. And it's the us against them in the news. And I catch myself speaking negative things about the country and the government and even against the church. I I get caught up in this stuff where I'm giving voice to what's happening based on what I'm feeling and the emotion of the hour and the emotion of the culture and not saying, God, this is what you've said. And Lord, this is what I'm believing. Lord, I've seen revival in my spirit. I've had visitations that you want to bring revival to our country. You want to do something new and something fresh. I'm going to declare that over California. I'm I'm going to declare that over this community. Lord, what you have said. I want to come into agreement with your plans. See, much has been said about 2020 and the idea of vision. That It's it's a year of vision. And uh, it's a decade going into that that we're going to have vision. But some of you that follow some of the prophetic ministries, they've been talking about the Hebraic calendar. And numbers in the Hebraic calendar are often tied with symbols. And this is what they're seeing about this new decade that we're going into. 
So in the prophetic ministries, much is said about 2020 for clear vision and removing the confusion in politics and the cultural division. But we're coming in, or we're in the year right now, 5780-5780. And these last decades, 5770 to 5779 in the Hebraic calendar, it was tied to the symbol ayin. It was the ayin decade. And A-Y-I-N means eyes and sight. And so God was revealing many things to us through vision, through dreams, things that you see, and, and much I've read and heard about things that God wants to do ahead and God wants to, you know, this is a new thing he's going to do, a prophecy about revival and a new awakening, a new Jesus people generation. But this decade that we're in, 5780 through 5789, it's the pay, P-E-Y decade. That's the symbol that's used concerning this decade and the years we're in. Pay means mouth or voice or expression through the mouth to declare and to speak. So we've moved from seeing to speaking. Because we don't want to be speaking out of order on the things we have not seen or don't understand. You need to understand and see before you open your mouth. So this idea that God's going to bring us into this place where we've been seated with Christ, we've been positioned in authority, we've been raised up for a time such as this, we're the glorious church equipped and ready to, to move forward in God. Does anybody relate to any of that or want to be part of that church? A victorious church. It's the season of declaring. The season began to speak, God, this is what you said, and we're going to come into agreement with that. And we're going to be careful to filter all the other stuff that's being said and shared. This racial tension, trying to pit one against another, trying, trying to heal or stir up wounds that we're, we're healing, trying to bring things back, you know, male against female, Republican against Democrat, all that stuff that's trying to stir up division. I got to guard my heart and guard my mouth. Lord, I want to speak what you want me to speak concerning these things. And then we're going to see God's result. Do you believe it? See, Hebrews 11 says this, By faith, that is with inherent, inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God. So that which is, was seen is not made out of things which are unseen. That's why what we declare and what we pray is so important. Now, I'm just going to move through this quickly. This is what the power of the word is about. Proverbs 18, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Read that with me, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 31, 26, come on. She speaks with wisdom, and faith or instruction is on her tongue. Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who what? Restrains his lips is wise. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Can anybody see the importance of your words? Amen. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, lips he's considered perceptive. Maybe we should read that again. No. <laughs> there is one who speaks like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, my strength and my redeemer. And then this is just before we make some declarations. This is the one that was on my heart. Is In James 3, it warns about when our tongue gets unruly. 
It's, uh, so see how great a forest is set on fire by a small spark? And the tongue is incense, a fire, the very world of injustice and unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members as that which contaminates the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, the cycle of man's existence, and it is itself set on fire by hell. Ouch! For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and sea creatures is tamed, has been tamed by the human race. I know this is quite a few scriptures in a row here, but this is just a scene from the tea fire in 2008. It burned 2,000 acres in Montecito and Santa Barbara, destroyed 210 homes. Schwarzenegger, when he walked through it, he says, when you walk around the area, that was destroyed. It looks like hell. And you know what started it? Group, group of students sitting around a campfire. And they didn't put out the fire right. And I've been sitting in groups of people before, and we start talking. And criticism comes up, or this person comes up, or that ministry comes up, and pretty soon our tongue turns on to that subject. And, and what could be encouragement or hopeful or even praying for that person becomes an issue of, you know, talking about it and letting things stir up. And, well, I heard, well, I heard, and it, it turns in, goes in from just encouragement, affirmation, and prayer into gossip and the other things. And Scripture says here that it can set things on fire. It can even, it says here, it, it, it even sets on fire the course of our life. Sometimes I look at people's lives and I, I think, gosh, man, they're involved in church and serving and they're doing all the right things. But when it comes to, like, words coming out of their mouth and judgment and criticism, could it be that they're getting caught up in the political culture and even the attacks and things that we're speaking and it's causing, bringing turmoil, opening up turmoil or calamity in our own lives? says, no one can tame the human tongue. It's a restless evil, undisciplined, unstable, full of poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings. These things, my brethren, should not be this way, for we have a moral obligation to speak in a manner that reflects our fear of God and a profound respect for his presence. Can you tell this is the Amplified? And it says, out of the same tongue, the same mouth, can you get fresh and bitter water? I don't know about you. I want to be used effectively in declaring God's heart. And I got a ways to go. I have not mastered this at all. Matter of fact, when I started reading, and I've read this passage dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the last 40 years, it really stopped me this week. It, it, it made me pause this week when I was reading that passage. Because it's easy to stand here and preach it. But when I think about, even many of you that have been in this community know of a popular pastor in this community going through difficult times. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine. And then certain circles I run into people, did you hear about Brother Tom? And then they have an opinion. And then they, I heard, and, and that stuff that begins to move, man, what does it do for the kingdom? Does it advance the kingdom? Do, does it help his family right now? Does it help his church? How about if we took those words and we began to bless Mountain Brook? We said, God, I thank you for a new season as they sort things out at the church. As they resolve these things, Father, I thank you that your Redeemer, 
that you can turn things around and you can take this God and rebuild a marriage and a family and, and you can rebuild uh, the, the vision that they have. They're putting up an education center. They've been doing things, working with women that have been trafficked. They have a fabulous vision to reach out and somehow the enemy got in and messed this thing up. And so am I going to give voice to what the enemy has done or are we going to stand and contend and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in that place. Thy will be done in that place. It's the power of our words and what we agree with makes a difference, church. Do you believe that? See, this is Isaiah's dilemma. I'm not going to go through this all, but Isaiah, when you read Isaiah chapters 1 through 5, powerful prophet. And powerful prophet, but when you read verse 5, he says, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. Judgment, look what you've done. Look what you've caused. You hear from the judgment from a prophet's lips, and then he has an encounter with Lord. And he starts Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He was so overwhelmed by God's presence. And in God's presence, we see ourselves for who we really are, that we're in need of a Savior, that we're in need of a Deliverer, that we're in need of His holiness, we're in need of His refreshing. And this is what he said, then I said, it's all over, I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man, I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. And yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then this angel flies and takes a coal off the altar and touches lips. And then the call goes out, who, who can I send, God says. And that's when Isaiah said, you can send me. Because God, I'm going to speak homo legeo, I'm going to speak your word. God, I'm going to speak in agreement with what you want to accomplish. I'm going to speak in agreement with what you want to do. Church, I know we're a little bit in overtime right now because we worship for a while, but I'm almost done. Please hang in there, okay? Are you all right? Then, then we're almost done. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah saying, this is when God calls somebody to speak his word, to make a difference, the rhema word of God. Jeremiah is a young man, and the Lord appears to Jeremiah and says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I believe in this room, there's God, God has called men and women. Some of you have anointings and specific calls on your life to preach and speak for him. We all do. We all do. But there's specific calls, that fivefold ministry. Some have even had that call burning in your heart, but you've never let the Lord sanctify your lips and your words. You've never allowed him to come and say, God, you know, I've been praying for my family. I want things to change. But, but the words that still come out... I'm speaking to myself, Lord, help us to see this, to get this. He tells Jeremiah, I've called you at a young age. Verse 6, Jeremiah says, God, behold, I can't speak. I'm a youth. I love what the Lord says. Don't say that anymore. Some translations, he'd say, be quiet. Quit saying that. That's not what I'm saying. God, I can't speak. I, I don't have my college degree. What if they ask questions I can't answer? I don't know much about theology. Just be quiet. Be quiet, and you shall go to whom I send you, and whatever I command, you're going to speak. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'm with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then he goes on, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. There it is again. The Lord touches his mouth. Would anybody say this morning, Lord, touch my mouth? Lord, help my mouth. Lord, help me. Help my words. And the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms. Look at the power of words, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Man, our prayers have such power. 
Our words have such power. Verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree, and the almond tree is the first to bud. In this, this t- trying time of just they were taken over and they were uh, in bondage, they were in slavery. Jeremiah the prophet begins to look out and the Lord says, now what do you see? And he says, I I see an almond tree. It's budding. It's It's the first tree that buds. God, you're up to something. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well. I'm ready to perform my word. How about when we've just been praying and contending and it doesn't seem like things are changing and then we just get in agreement with God and we begin to praise him for the answer. We begin to praise him, declare who he is, declare his power, declare his worth, declare his might. And, and the now time, waiting's tough, but there, there's always a due season when something shifts. And then God says, now you have seen well, I'm ready to perform my word and things turn around because we've been declaring and standing and believing what he has said. Amen, church? Read this with me. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Isn't that powerful? Samuel just obeyed God, followed God, but as he prayed, declared as a prophet, the Lord didn't let one of his words fall to the ground. He backed his mouth. He backed his prayers. Let it be for us. Amen? So we're going to finish. Stand up with me, and we're going to just finish these, these last few. I just got a few slides, and these are just out of the first couple uh, chapters of Ephesians, and they're just declarations. This is speaking what God says. This is agreeing with what God says about you and me. Years ago when I learned this, I remember sitting up above in the Hayward in the hills, and I wrote, throughout, I wrote out all of 1 John, and I turned the promises of 1 John into confessions and declarations. I still had that in my American Standard Bible in the back. But this is what God says about us. As we start a new year, can we just agree with him over us? Come on, say this with me. I am who I am by the will of God, from Ephesians 1. I'm a saint set apart by God as holy. I've been made holy through my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm covered by God's grace and peace through Jesus Christ. Whoops, hold, come on, back up, sorry. I'm blessed. God has blessed me with everything I need for my spirit, soul, and body. His overflowing blessings abound to me in Christ. God chose me. I did not choose myself. He made his choice before he created the world. Therefore, he based it on his love, not on my performance or attributes. Because God loves me and it pleased him, he adopted me into his family through Christ. I have all rights as a member of God's family. My sins are paid in full and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. God's grace abound towards me. I am a recipient of God's wisdom and understanding. He speaks to me, and I hear his voice. God chose me in Christ. Therefore, I'm confident that my life will conform and work out according to his plans and purposes for me. Does anybody believe that this morning? I'm confident. God is working. He's not done. My life is going to be fulfilled in what he said. I give thanks and praise to God, and I live my life to bring him glory. I'm in Christ, and my identity is found only in Him. I am marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
I'm certain of a glorious future and an eternal inheritance with God in heaven. And I will live to praise and glorify God for blessing me exceedingly and abundantly in Christ. Do you believe that, church? Amen. Lord, we agree with your word. We agree with what you've said. We decree, Lord, declare, to declare your words and promises over our family, over our future, over our church, over this community. Lord, as it's a season for declaring, God, I pray that we'd be doers and not just hearers of your word, Lord. And Father, as we go, I just ask you, God, to bless us, to use us, to seal these things, that we're armed and dangerous in you, Lord. We're armed and dangerous in you. We're armed to take ground. We're armed to make a stand. We're armed to to pursue and walk in the things that we've learned, Lord. I pray you'd seal these things in our heart in Jesus' name.